You are listening to a live recording of Miles Davis, and it's a recording that I can almost guarantee, almost, that you've never heard. That is July 15th, 1964, in Kyoto, Japan, and hardcore fans of Miles Davis look back to the day of July 14th, 1964, and the live recording that was made in Tokyo of early version of Miles' second great quintet, we'll call, with Sam Rivers on tenor saxophone, and rhythm section of Herbie Hancock, Ron Carter, and Tony Williams, piano, bass, and drums, respectively. But few know this recording that was made the next night in Kyoto, and that is what we're listening to tonight on Deep Focus. My name is Mitch Goldman, and my guest tonight, I'm very happy to say, and welcome back to the studio, is Ferron Akloff. Thank you. Greetings, blessings, and glad to be here with you, Mitch. Me too, man. We're going to have some fun tonight. We got a uh, a, some, a few great recordings, and I like this theme that you've identified for us, which is live in Japan. Well, I should let you say. Well, it is live in Japan. It could be a lot of things uh, with the masters we're listening to. Uh, angels and demons at play, even, if, we, if, if you will. <laughs> I will, I but will. What... What I enjoyed about uh, this performance was not the usual uh, kind of thing. It's that this is a hall that I actually know. Ah, so, I did not know that. <laughs> now I now yes. I want to know more. <laughs> well, there is more. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Um, well, suffice it to say, I I have a deep connection with Japan and particularly Kyoto and uh, and uh, even Kobe where we will hear uh, later um, Maestro Coltrane's work there. But knowing the energy of the people and the enjoyment and the respect uh, for the art, um, I can now put this recording into a different context. I can only imagine what in 1964 it would be uh, like, but uh, for sure the hall is uh, still a beautiful hall, and and I was fortunate enough to experience it. And, um, yeah. Well, tell so, us, let's start with that. Tell us a little bit about this building because I, I had no idea. Well, that it's it, it's part of the, it, there's a large park. It's a it's a building that's also uh, connected to a large park, and uh, I think the last time I played there was in the outside outside in the park. Now they have festivals in the park outside, and um, it's in the summer when there are lots of festivals. In fact, uh, uh, happy Obon to all of you. Uh, we're celebrating Obon holidays, and and I realized that um, this tr- festival tradition, particularly ones celebrating ancestors, uh, was something that I took part in a number of times and felt connected to. And uh, as a person that works with the drums ceremonies are very important yes (laughs) yes yes you know so um you know so we'll for me it's an opportunity to only imagine customers (laughs) that's the uh, alarm (laughs) 
the um only I can only imagine, you know, what drum gods were uh visiting the drummers, uh, because I, I uh I have that personal you know, in, mm-hmm. intervention on occasion. And uh so yes. Mm. <laughs> very very special kind Well of let me draw you out on that a little bit more. Maybe uh Kyoto is a very special place mm-hmm. in itself, the, the, the city mm-hmm. where this takes place in addition to the park. Can you mm-hmm. – is that something you want to talk about a little bit? Well, uh, I think there are a few things. One, uh, there are some very strong art production people there. Um, I have um, some of my closest friends, the people at, at the uh, RAG live spot in Kyoto, um, Hikalu and Suda. They've done things there for many years. Um, I have uh, New York friends based in Kyoto. The uh, Campo Cultural Center uh, is a place that I've worked both in New York and in in, in Tokyo. I mean Kyoto, and uh, th- this is a place that was uh, supporting a lot of artists over the years down on Bond Street and uh, uh, right across the street from Sam Rivers. So. So uh, uh, <clears throat> Sensei Kampo uh, Hirata had a building right across the street from Sam Rivers' loft and taught calligraphy there uh, for a long time. And, um, and, so, and that was really my first introduction to performing music in New York was uh, Sam's Studio Rivby. Ah. So I, it's a tribute to him as well to just revisit his horn playing in that context. There, the connections run farther and deeper than I <laughs> had any idea. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm finding this out. I'm glad. Probably more to it than this. I, I just haven't. Uh, Keep going, man. Whenever it, they come. It just... may. It may. It, we may find out something else. Good, good. Bring it. So let's talk about this recording. So, um we were talking about uh, the more familiar Tokyo recording, and now we're getting this whole other light and uh, getting to hear another night of that performance. And if you know the album Miles in Tokyo, or uh, I think Miles Around the World was a, uh, another release that came out with some of this stuff on it. Um, but this is this other thing that, as far as I know, has never been released. And uh, we heard If I Were a Bell, and I'm very curious to hear what you think about this band and and where they're where they're at and where they're going well i'm sure they're hot i mean physically hot <laughs> yeah july <laughs> true yeah good it's point it's very hot there uh in july and um so but i i noticed there was a moment where miles had taken a few courses and in the, in the pause there was a loud applause and either he did something dramatic right. uh, to make them applaud. Which, or, in Miles' case, it didn't take much. It did. <laughs> a small gesture from that's Miles. Right. I mean, really, it's true. Right. You're absolutely he was, so right. People would Little hang goes a long way. on his performances. And, and, on every move. Yeah. Know, and, like, you know, you know he could literally, yeah. he could breathe yeah. in a room with mm-hmm. 5,000 people right. in it. And everyone would go, oh. That's right. You're absolutely right. I've been in a room with him, and I so I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but yes, um, and I take back everything bad I ever said. <laughs> uh, but 
Yes. So then either that or he was so inspired, he continued to take another course or two, you know, uh, what, or both, you know. <laughs> so. Well, let me ask you this, because this really does play into this whole theme of tonight, I think. Could you generalize or characterize Japanese audiences in general? Are they in terms of? Uh, well, at the, I I could if we're talking about today jazz, uh, alternative musics, reggae, uh, any any mu- commercial musics from the United States. Um, yes, but then I could I would never be able to. I mean, I imagine a guy that had this uh, uh, tape recorder it was a it was a Sony cassette stuck under his uh, chair or something. I mean, is that what do you, what do you surmise? We don't we don't know. We don't need. I'm glad we have it's it. Like, well, I wish so, he was a little closer you know, to the piano. In 1964, but. we were still th- you know uh, looking at China and or uh, I should say uh, where what it, what is it called? We're looking at all kinds of electronics and or other. Um, uh, dinnerware, not China, but dinnerware okay. as not being made from China, but made in Japan. Right, right, right. And and we had this concept of everything that was made of Japan, which which is what the same one we have of those made in China today. Very or true. From, or Mahongo, Malaysia, or yeah, no, know. that that's but, very but true. So so I'm thinking of that society in Reconstruction in in, in 1964. Uh, there's, there's, I would have to think that the people that were at the concert were aliens. I mean, they were they were whom we knew of Sun Ra fans did, or something. You know, no, I, I mean, they they would have to be a really unique group, fervent as they may be. Uh, they were probably distinctive, small, cultured, and and knocked out. I know? just had a thought actually mm-hmm. that for me kind of takes us in a whole other direction. Summer of 1964, wasn't that the year the that Olympics? the Olympics were yeah, in Tokyo? That's right. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> that's big. So this that was, and people talk about that, the 1964 Olympics being one of the events that brought Japan from being this kind of uh, backward, you know, cheap manufacturing perception of the society and post World War II to, you know, the mighty leap that they took towards being a economic and cultural powerhouse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that lit that off. So maybe that was happening this within days of when this concert was. Mm-hmm. That only just now occurred mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure this concert gave them a little energy. Yeah, I bet you it did. Know? <laughs> I bet it did. So now let's talk about the music a little bit. I'm curious um, what you hear when you hear this, and you're obviously, or maybe not so obviously, but intimately familiar with Sam Rivers' work and about uh, maybe you talk a little bit about how that fits and doesn't fit with Miles' concept. Well, and... I I just think that just from I I, I can't exp- I can't speak from I, I mean knowing Sam and chatting about this and and laughing about it is one thing, but an exegesis on like musically where this might have shaped or uh, influenced. Uh, uh, the band uh, and or the direction, I I can't say, but the the one thing for sure, it did set the the be- the bar very high, and 
And so if he was, you know, maybe not ready to go hang out with Miles and had his own things, and then, then Miles was certainly going to find someone that, I mean, was going to have to really be heavy. <laughs> Absolutely. And so needless to say, the planet showed up. So, you know. Very true. Very <laughs> true. Know, so. Doesn't get any heavier. And, uh, well, a little background. Now, this this is this band that's in the process of becoming what's referred to as Miles' second great quintet. This is after Coltrane had left the band. And this rhythm section's come together of Herbie Hancock, piano, Ron Carter on bass, Tony Williams on drums. The group would solidify with the appearance of Wayne Shorter later this year. In fact, within weeks of this recording. And that tenor chair... Coltrane had left, and he had recommended Wayne. Wayne, of course, was kind of a protege of Coltrane's. Wayne was playing with Art Blakey at the time, and a few different tenor players had come through this chair, and uh, Hank Mobley had done some dates, George Coleman, and apparently it was supposed to be George Coleman on this Japan tour, and he was replaced at the last minute by Sam Rivers. But now I listen to this, and I almost feel like Herbie's not quite Herbie yet, in terms of concept. and Weren't they all 12 years old? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Tony very nearly was. Tony literally was a teenager. Um, Ron Carter was obviously very youthful because he's still at it. But, um, you know, he'd made a bunch of recordings, Eric Dolphy and all that stuff by this time and among many others. Um, and Herbie was a, a child prodigy. Yeah. Well, but, Ron was always very mature for his age. Yes. He, you would never know he was... What is what his age was? Uh, so I'm sure mature what, yet youthful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so uh, he could have been. I I can't remember the age, but but he but man, just sitting, just the rock that he is is just uh, really heavy, really heavy. Well, you know, I'm listening to this. I'm thinking, you know, I'm not quite hearing Herbie's the concept. You know that that loose limbed conversational kind of style that that band embodied. Um, Herbie's not doing it. Ron's not doing it. He's kind of playing 4-4. Tony sounds like he's holding back. Well, the thing is, uh, 64. It is 64. Yeah. Yeah. It is 64. So it's a little... They're they're in uh, the process of Right. It's just developing. But Sam, actually, I am hearing that stuff from him. Of course. Because, you know, well, of course, he, he, he's of the great, those, those great tenors. So he's, yes, so I hear what you're saying. He's pushing the envelope. So that they can actually learn just how far uh, the, this kind of telepathy can go, you know. So yeah, I mean that's that, and you know, uh, and and the kind of whole girth and 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 whatever this both harmony and and rhythm uh, kaleidoscope thing that they were free enough to do. They really didn't have to play so you know neatly, and in fact. That it, it was, um, I'm sure, appreciated every bit of it uh, uh, there. Whereas here, I don't know. I, I know we always have the critics, <laughs> you know. And so, so well, we'll this, listen, we'll, you are not here to reflect anything other than what you hear and feel. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. well, should we hear some more? And yes. Uh, all right. So uh, that was if I were a bell. We're going to hear Olio and Stella by Starlight, and we'll. Uh, I want to hear where this thing's going to go, man. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm consumed by it now. <laughs> and uh, you're listening to WKCR. My name is Mitch Goldman. My guest tonight, I'm very happy to say, Fironok Loth. 
And uh, we are in Japan, July 15th, 1964, in Kyoto, in Maruyama Ongakudo Hall, and uh, where you have been. Yes. I'm going to ask you to talk about that a little bit more when we come back. But uh, this is quite an astonishing recording. Miles Davis, of course, on trumpet. Sam Rivers, tenor saxophone. Herbie Hancock, piano. Ron Carter, bass. Tony Williams on drums. This is Deep Focus on WKCR. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
that tune but i'm willing to bet money you don't know that version never heard it before unless maybe if you were in the maruyama ongakudo hall in kyoto japan july 15th 1964 that's where that recording was made of miles davis on trumpet sam rivers tenor saxophone herbie hancock piano ron carter on the bass tony williams on the drums not the more familiar date from tokyo the night before but this very rare live recording and a very stunning performance, which I'm discussing tonight with my guest, Firon Akloth. Firon. Yes. That was, uh, I, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm loving Sam Rivers with this band. I got to say, I'm feeling like mm-hmm. I, I don't want anything more or different. As much as I love what this band became and mm-hmm. Wayne Shorter fan that I am. Yeah, well, Sam's world was was just so broad at that time that um you know it was unmistakably he he was the uh the focus of of how one could hear the probably the strongest tennis saxophone they'd ever hear um of all of the masters that were playing at that time 
And, um, and you were talking a bit. I mean, who would you who would you put in that category? It's 1964. Um, there's some new doors oh, opening. in terms of that 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 depth, you know, John Gilmore, um, um, Sonny Rollins, um, Coltrane, uh, of, obviously. Of course, they, they they were all. It's almost a matter of uh, a, a bit of a brotherhood there, of, and I think. You know, you you see both Coltrane and Gilmore uh, run out from the pack. You know, in yeah. their particular direction, uh, it's sort of Gilmore, sort of running inside the track. You know, yeah. he's like, you know, sort of uh, uh, folding in and 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 Coltrane expanding out uh, in terms of public uh, music sharing um yeah uh shep and i'm i'm and listening to this i'm i i don't disagree with any of that right and, and gosh yeah and Isler, the stuff was doing you know all these things sam is pulling out all the stops you know he's just that's what know, was struck me you know just hearing his vocabulary mm-hmm. how broad mm-hmm. it is and his yeah. ideas mm-hmm. the way they're flowing what, I mean, what are some of the things that you're hearing in there that he's doing well just just exactly that he is taught he's giving you not necessarily in a linear way, but in a in a in a much more uh, improvisatory way, giving you the lineage of the of the horn and how it's been played by various uh, folks over the years. Yeah, he's also <laughs> starting to pull Tony in particular. Now, I guess they I can't remember if we talked about this on the air. There was a relationship between Sam Rivers and Tony Williams going back to the old Boston days. Right, and, they were both Boston. Uh, Colleagues or mentors and, and student and uh, knew knew their families or or, or something right, like right. that and yeah. so that would make sense. I mean, I think. But I, I hear in particular Tony responding to Sam Rivers playing and and coming off that you know flatter four. Yeah, beat I remember and, trying to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't I don't know if it worked, but oh boy. <laughs> now I I don't think you and I have ever discuss Tony Williams, but I'm going to take a big, fat, wild guess that mm-hmm. you've spent your days listening to Tony's playing. Well, yeah, a lot of listening, and the last time I saw him uh, was, uh, of all places, at SOB's when he was going to see the Boom Ensemble play at SOB's in one of the rare times when they would have, and they did over the years, have serious music during the week. Sure, and um, and probably still do, but uh, there was Max's great ensemble and boom, and with all the percussionists, and I believe Tony was playing in town that week or something like that. Um, and so I'm there, and I, he's there, and, so I, and in fact, he had just got married. And I told him, I, I said, you know, oh, you know, Tony, I really want to see that movie with you and Willie Ruff. And he looked a little shocked and says, oh, you know about that, huh? I don't know about that. Well, Willie Ruff, the great uh, French horn player and musicologist and and Yale uh, pro- uh, professor alum, uh, I mean professor uh, emeritus, I mm-hmm. believe, um, I was lucky enough to meet in the, mm-hmm. in the late 70s. And... And he told me that 
personally that oh yeah i took tony williams to west africa and you know we made a film and we did all these different things and the, the, and it's not something that uh very many people know i i think he was a little private about some of his things i don't, I don't think he was a great self-promotion artist mm-hmm. uh, you know like one of his counterparts <laughs> but 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 uh you know he. You know there are a lot of things that people probably don't know about him that were really interesting musically and in terms of you know the things he uh, uh, gathered and the rhythm of rhythmic vocabulary from around the world and and so yeah yeah was he uh, was he somebody you've had a, a particular no I only met I met him <laughs> once or twice but what about only. I mean musically I. I feel an affinity of uh, well, your concept? What, and... what happens is um, with most of us in my age group, we are really, we, we have to discuss him and we have to uh, really develop uh, an understanding of what he contributed and we also have to try to use that in a way that is not so obvious, <laughs> you know. So, so it's it's that big. It's that big. <laughs> okay, fair enough. In that case, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> you are listening to WKCR FM New York. My name is Mitch Goldman. Jazz Alternatives. It's heard each weeknight from six to nine p.m. And once in a while, if it's a really great Monday, we do this show deep focus. And that's what we're doing tonight. Firon Aklaf is my guest tonight, and we are we are neck deep in Kyoto in Miles Davis Quintet, um, and paying special attention to Sam Rivers. Although talking about Tony Williams there, who's the drummer on this date, what uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit maybe about your experience with Sam and what you learned from that. And oh well. Um... I learned I should be as quiet as possible, <laughs> you know, and just listen. The last time uh, we played together uh, was with an ensemble uh, Reggie Workman had, uh, organized, um, and we were walking down the steps of a huge amphitheater in Italy, and I I grabbed him by, you know, because he's, first of all, I also I learned to just, um, you know, follow your path. I mean, the strength of following one's path is is huge with Sam because, needless to say, he's not as decorated as a lot of folks that play that instrument, but he contributes so much to so many in New York for so many years. You know, musicians my age, all those all those horn players my age, uh, you know, or, or, or even older. Um, you know, it, it he, he made it possible for us to have this... Uh, it, it was almost the the pinnacle of the loft uh, experience when the, one of the musicians is doing. So both Sam's loft and Rashid's club were the most, for me, the most important things that ever happened for the development of the dignity of the musicians, because you got the sense that you were able to be supported by your mentors you're able to they could be businessmen that allowed for opportunities you didn't have to count on somebody else 
uh, that was so much out of your uh, realm, uh, you know, and out of touch with what you were doing. And you also um, didn't have to line up to be packaged in the star system, you know. So just understanding the strength of your own work and knowing that you could present it in gallery form, sort of like I'm going to do on Saturday. Now, yes, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, Feronok Lav, our guest tonight, upcoming performances. I want to hear all about it. Tell us. Well, um, we're performing at the theater named Jalopy, and it's in Red Hook, which is kind of a sequitur, isn't it? No. <laughs> okay, no, that's, that's, that's not good. Oh. But, but no, it's a Jalopy cool spot. Is one, it's, it's a really a cool, cool spot. It's a great spot. I mean, it's it's both um, it, it, uh, down to earth, family oriented. You know, it's got a crazy bar next door just in case you want to hang out all night as well. And actually a new place on the corner. Uh, so it's it's get it's a burgeoning scene, as it were, there in Red Hook. Uh, Jalopy Theater is at 315 Columbia Street in Red Hook. And I will be there with uh, a band that's tributing uh, one of my favorite themes, the news. No. <laughs> um, the Brooklyn Mime Troupe is going to give you the news as we see it. And we will do socially uplifting, consciousness-raising, lyrics, lashing, slashing. <laughs> it's about time. Uh, well, you know, it, it's, an, it's an important thing that's been worked out of most um, performances. Uh, you know, I've never been one that has been shy to... to uh, make uh, a nice uh, political joke or <clears throat> in this day and time maybe <clears throat> there's no such thing as a nice one <laughs> you know maybe maybe just I- anything that um, you know outside of registering to vote uh, is fair um, <clears throat> and so uh, or outside of not registering to vote I should say mm. <laughs> is fair <laughs> um, but um, there is a day I might have a, I might have a new song for the president. Actually, I I had I had not written one, and I just got inspired today. So, that, that, would you like to share it with no, us, or are you going to save it for no, Saturday? I'm save it for Saturday. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, people ask me seriously. People mm-hmm. do they, like Mitch. You know what's going on with music? Where Where should I go? What's What's I want some. Music I can sink my teeth into and some entertainment and just that feeling of somebody out there has some idea, is thinking the way I'm thinking, or give me something to think about. This is the place to go this Saturday. This Saturday, get your fill of what could be somewhere between Sly and the Family Stone and uh, Brook and uh, San Francisco Mime Troop. Ah, so <laughs> I like it. Now, who, who's the band? Who's going to be hitting? Well... My longtime cohort is is only a fraction of what he represents to me. Jerome Harris is playing bass, and we, you know we wrote songs together during the Jump Up days, and and we still have over time uh, uh, penned a few things, mostly for our personal selves. But uh-huh. but in this case, it, it, you know, it's time we can have 
folks like my daughter even we we both have uh, adult children now so so <laughs> yeah to sing and alicia zebulon uh daughter of uh zebulon who played with um uh stevie wonder percussions mm-hmm. um well um ade steve colson's playing keyboards with us shu nakamura uh guitarist uh and um I should have the flyer in front of me so I remember who everyone who's there. Who did it I not mention? Me. Mm. Wait, who's playing, oh, who's oh, percussion. drums on this? Uh, yes, yes, and there's me. <laughs> but, and Jarawa's going to play percussion. Uh, Brian Jarawa Gray is going to play percussion with us. So Saturday night, Jalopy Theater, what time? 8 and 10. And I suggest reservations because yes. the place is great. It's funky. It's small. It's wonderful. But I suggest reservations <laughs> because so and and it's really affordable too it's only you know 10 bucks for each show um i, I that's an important thing today um and and 15 dollars for two shows so um the way you want to get to jalopy theater 315 columbia street is go to www.jalopy.biz and you will see the map and the, the several routes to get there. Um, even the bus works well over there. It's, I've taken the bus there. Uh, and uh, and that, that Brooklyn has become something, huh? Yeah. Too bad uh wasn't like that when we lived there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, like, this place, it would be so cool. Yeah, if there were just some music venues, maybe a restaurant or two, movie theater, there was nothing out there. Yeah, yeah. We, we split two Well, there was, the, there was a there place the preacher played, that little, the Val Hal. You know, there was something like there that. Were some, there were some little <laughs> spots, but nothing so, like now. Seriously. No, 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 no. Jalopy. No, the place. Mm-hmm. Jalopy.biz. J-A-L-O-P-Y. Mm-hmm. Jalopy.biz. Go check that out. And, and absolutely, Saturday, the place to be. Yes, yes, and or you can you can see my whole schedule there at um, at my website, which is spelled my name is not easy to spell p h e e r o a n a k l a f f dot com. Yes, um, we are in Kyoto, and we should probably play some more music. But I, I want to hear. I I gotta ask you. Tell me about this building because uh, you know you you've traveled the world. I can say that. And uh, place, spirit of place, and especially the sound environment, these things. Right. Well, this building was, a, at that time, that would have been a new building. Mm-hmm. When I played it, it was a little older, so it was more seasoned, I guess, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. And so I could hear the newness in the building. I hear it's a, a reverberating hall. Um, and hence, uh, for the first few minutes, we heard Tony not playing as aggressively, and that's that's what we Germans do to you know to size up the room first, you know, and then you know just to make sure that everything is pleasant and the all the various corners are not uh, uh, ringing with uh, somewhere in the microphone and cymbal and bass drums. I noticed he was using a lower pitched bass drum. This was before he went to uh, it could have been what drums were supplied for that day and that right. tuning that worked or, 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 I don't know but it wasn't his classic small bass drum sound um, mm-hmm. interesting yeah. well let's uh, dive back in we've got well there's basically it's all of you 
is the next piece. And then the recording ends a couple of minutes into Seven Steps to Heaven. That's all we got of this one. Mm. So um, shall we hear it? Yes. Yes. Firon Akloff. Into, into the Seven Steps to Heaven. Yes. Who, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, is playing this Saturday at the Jalopy Theater in Brooklyn. Jalopy.biz. But um, we are listening to Miles Davis, Kyoto, Japan, July 15th, 1964. There's only one recording that's been released of Miles Davis with Sam Rivers. As far as I know, this tour might be the only time that they played together. And what we're listening to tonight is not that one recording from Tokyo, but the following night in Kyoto. So this is fresh stuff and and great stuff. I uh, hope you agree. So all of you and Seven Steps to Heaven from Kyoto, July of 1964. WKCR. <laughs> Another truly memorable show. Am I lying? The date was August 15th, 2011. And I think you know the rest. My guest, if you're not familiar with him, Firon Akloff. I'm going to spell that. P-H-E-E-R-O-A-N. Akloff. A-K capital L-A-F-F. Brilliant, brilliant drummer. And, uh, you know, you don't... One of the things I love about the show, you're, you're almost never going to get a brilliant artist who doesn't think in a very active, engaged way. You know, some people maybe aren't terribly verbal and they express themselves in other ways and they develop another language for it, whether it's music or visual or dance or whatever it might happen to be, but they're thinking it and feeling it. Luckily, Firon has both. He's got a real word craft and a thought craft, and he's very generous with it. He's got a generous soul. This is a very memorable program for me. I remember this night very well. And, uh, you know, when I do these shows, I kind of relive it a little bit, and I uh, go back through it. I'm actually listening <laughs> as an audience member for the first time right? Uh, it's very different hosting the show. And sometimes I'm struck by how much I miss. I'm thinking about engineering the show. I'm thinking about our FCC requirements in doing that. I'm thinking about the music we're going to play, about timing, all these other things. And I try to create the headspace to engage with my guests, because that's the most important thing for me. In any case, this one 
really very special. I know you know because you're still here with me. So that was the first of three parts. There's two more parts coming. And uh, let's get over and listen to them. And I'll just say, if you're enjoying this the way I think you are, if you haven't done it already, you want to subscribe, you'll find us on your, probably already did, on your favorite podcasting app. You can always find us on the hosting site, which is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. And I'm going to ask you, give us some likes, give us some five stars or thumbs up or whatever, make some comments. And there are literally millions of podcasts out there. And this one disappears for most people. So you can make a huge contribution to us. I don't accept any money from anybody. Uh, support's another story. I could use all you can give. So yeah, please do spread the word and let people know. Let your music-loving friends know about Deep Focus. It really makes all the difference. I see you over at part two.